cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. How are you with? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I, we're recording this a bit early, so in this essentially, we be, we're leaving it behind after the apocalypse. Um, when there's nothing left, this podcast will still be hopefully available as a primer to a bit more libertarianism. Not libertarianism, liberty. Liberty. Right. And apparently that's what we're going to talk about. Well, somewhat. It says two people who do this for free in an oppressive studio in Ravonia. Let's yeah. talk about liberty. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Well, we're not oppressed, Ramon. We're not oppressed. Stop. Stop. Uh, you, you, although you're an Arab, so I suppose you can pull it off. Eh? Please don't identify me. <laughs> I self-identify. Are you male today? Are you gender fluid? I, I self-identify as a Sherman tank, and if you disagree with that, you're a bigot. Uh, you. You. I don't know if you saw uh, a while back. Uh, Gad said uh, said that his uh, correct gender pronoun. Yeah. Was and it was basically just he went wild on his keyboard. It was like, oh, really? um, like it's just like nuts on the keyboard with like, a whole bunch like of letters and numbers. Woman. Yeah, woman. do you know how to say that, Cecilia? Do you know how to say that before we introduce you? Do you know how to say that? I don't know how to say it. Oh, I have no what idea. What kind of woman are you? As you can hear, we have we have a, a woman, <laughs> woman in the in the studio. She may not be a woman depending on how she feels today. <laughs> right. But, uh, so we have a woman in, well, in, in the studio. Let me introduce her. So it's Cecilia Cock. Uh, we actually studied law together at WITS oh, a did. few years ago. Yes. And so, uh, yes. What, what's WITS? Sorry, uh, for, for those people who, who, if you go back, who if you can't really, remember. If you go back in history, uh, if you want to see where the most millionaires came from, yeah. they went to this one place. Called WITS. Yeah, in Bromfontein. Okay. Doesn't they, exist anymore. Hey? And they were uh, imbued with propaganda about mm. the state. And then they uh, paid the state a lot of money <laughs> afterwards. Uh, that was WITS. So, Cecilia, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's so nice to we be with you guys. We can talk a lot of shit on the show, but yeah, that's why you're here. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Not to talk I'm quite shit. good at talking shit. All oh, right. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, tell us a little bit about um, what you do. I studied law, that's right, uh, with you a while back um, and decided that that is not where I saw myself. Because you're a nice human. (laughs) And basically lawyers are like scum of the earth. Well, less because of that, but because I felt like it didn't fit into the kind of life that I imagined myself to live or into my idea of the good life. Mm. I ended up actually kind of by chance an international NGO that promotes constitutional democracy, human rights, the root of law, and a freer market economy. And we do that all over the world. So basically neoliberal propaganda. That's us, yeah. Right. And, and you fund this, mm, of course. So, of course. So you you are, as we have discussed off air, you are the third force. Right. should be really scared of us. <laughs> right. So, so what do you look for? I mean, what do you mean by uh, free markets and, and what is what is being a liberal? What does that entail? Oh, that is a really deep question and an enormous question. Um, and I wouldn't quite know where to start, except for the fact that I have sort of been delving into a lot of John Stuart Mill lately, um, who is one of my absolute intellectual heroes. And I think who is also known as the father of modern liberalism. And basically, um, his book on liberty, I think, outlines for me, I think, the most important thing of what it means to be a liberal, which is basically that all sort of individuals ought to be able to 
develop to their full potential in their lives. And that's something that I, that I fully believe in. That's a wonderful place to start because he talks about um, how we need to guard against the tyranny of the magistrate, so the tyranny of the state. And of course, he, he asks us to guard against tyrannies of, of certain other institutions such as the church or uh, the despotism of custom. And so he, he asks us to guard against the tyranny of the majority as well. And that's, that's a big one. I think it's a kind of a big one for us today is to guard against mainstream opinion yeah. that, that is really oppressive. Well, we've, we've got there. We've got the tyranny of the, well, is it the majority or the loud minority? What, what, have, right. what have we got going? Empirically, that's a, an interesting question. I mean, I think John Stuart Mill would be fine with us guarding against the tyranny of a minority as well, which I think in, in this case might be apt. Uh, we just don't know what the numbers are, you know, what, what people really... Well, 23% it fits. We, well, we, you yeah. know, we have that number. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we have, for example, I think in the media or certainly in sort of public discourse, certain opinions that are very sort of stridently put forward. And if you disagree with them, you are called all sorts of things that I'm sure you've been called a couple mm. of times too. What have we been called? I can't remember. I know. What? Is this a start into dementia? Is this, is this where it begins? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it, gets, it, it gets worse for people who don't buy into the identity that they're meant to buy into. So mm. um, we get called names, but they're kind of the names you'd expect us to get called because of mm. what our perceived identity is by the people calling us names. Mm. Um, if you, for example, you know, we've had, Sickly on the show before mm. is a good good friend of ours. Um, if you, for example, are sickly and you and you don't buy into fees must fall as he doesn't, mm. um, then uh, you're an Uncle Tom as as he mm. got called uh, recently. Um, well, if you're very polite, um, I think he's the renegade report house nigger. Someone else called him that. Yeah. Okay. So I think and we need to clarify. What's nice about Sickly? Nice he actually takes those on the chin. He's like, yeah. So what? Yeah. No. Look, he doesn't care because he because 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 he also gets that words. You know, words are just words. Yeah. Um, they, 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 yeah. then they're, they're not the, the end of the world. But what do you think about, uh, the collectivist sort of identities, the identity politics? Let's go into all okay. of that. Okay. Well, I think that stands very much, um, in the way of individuals truly being able to, to flourish. And I think a lot of it comes down to, yeah, these, these identity. Well, I think that unfortunately what seems to be happening is sort of a re-racialization of, of society. So I think one of the greatest evils, for example, of, of a regime like apartheid was that people weren't seen as individuals. They were robbed of their individuality and instead were seen to be part of a group that seemed to share, I don't know, certain or other, some mm. other features. And so that's, I mean, that's hugely problematic. So in, I'm actually, well, I'm supposed to be writing a master's thesis at the moment, which I'm just not doing because I find a million and other, a million different yeah. things to do. That's the story. That's the story of doing a master's. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So basically anyone who gets a master's or a PhD has fought off procrastination. <laughs> what are you talking about? Every single YouTube video is extremely interesting. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. And yeah. like every person's the, Facebook comment the, needs to be read, right? The, the fails of 2016. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose. The question that I'm looking at for my thesis is is the following. Uh, what role should the racial identity of an individual play in the moral assessment of that particular individual's actions? And right now, it seems to be the case that a lot of people think it ought to play a big role, right? So so if, if for example, we have action X and action X is performed by a so-called white person as opposed to a uh, you know, so-called black person, it can be 
um, morally evaluated very differently. It's seen very differently, right? So like, I'm sure lots of people have said to you, you guys, you mm. have no authority to speak on such and such topic because you guys are white males, which right. puts you at the, at the very bottom of the pile. So, so I'm interested in what, what this kind of thing does to the people that it aims to be uplifting or helping. And in fact, I think, I think it's hugely problematic. So the explanations I've received for this kind of stance is the following that basically it's because of these people's disadvantage um, or structural disadvantage and victimization that, that certain people ought to, or that certain people's voices ought to be uh, louder and you know, have mm. heavier than more, others. More merit exactly. yeah. is given to them. Yeah. Exactly. On the basis of this disadvantage and whatnot. But the problem is that then what you're doing is you're, you're creating a stereotype. So the moment you see someone black, you know, there, there's all this presumed stuff um, mm. that may or may, may not be there. So there again, um, you know, we, what you're doing is creating stereotypes and, and mm. there's a stigmatization around people purely on the basis of this overt marker that is that is race. So it's yeah. the same removing of identity. It's the same thing apartheid That's would have done. It would have said all black people are X, yeah. uh, treat all black people the same because they're X, right? That's and, right. And, and, okay, let's not get a bit too hyperbolic. Um, but the question I've, I've been asking, yeah. I've been wrestling with this question, how important is experience? Right or, or lived experience, yeah. as they call it today. Yeah, because maybe there are some things we are not aware of, mm. and I think that is completely legitimate. Absolutely. So lived experience is a really interesting term because it seems to often be used in a very strange way. When when you know th there is no such thing as the universal lived experience, right? right. Um, and uh, the philosopher Kwame Anthony Appiah, who I'm sure you're aware of, um, recently gave a lecture. I think it's a BBC Wraith lecture in which he sort of went on about how you know racial identities are well biological nonsense and from that position flow a whole bunch of consequences that you have to then accept um basically yeah the lived experience thing so he says you know be, being black in the bronx is a very different experience to you know being black in ghana your, your your experience will be very different and i do think that there is something to treating people differently or treating people in a specific way because of their lived experience mm -hmm. so say for example battered woman syndrome right so where we would normally convict someone of murder we wouldn't do so with a battered woman well with a woman who has ha who has battered woman syndrome because of her lived experience so we're looking then really at the lived experience and not necessarily just at the well you're, you're not looking at the person's skin color so you can't assume anything from the skin color and and you're not looking at the woman qua woman so not just you know the woman yes, as a woman you're looking itself, yeah. yeah exactly oh, seem to cut myself <laughs> um are you looking at the specific situation yes um, so the problem with the way lived experience is used is that it's used to describe one individual and then extrapolate it to the entire group. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's the issue with it today. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, stereotypes, they are bad, regardless of whether they, they, they might be seen to be positive stereotypes or negative. So there is this thing about, you know, Asians being good at maths or whatever. So you can't say like the Jews are good at, you know, commerce and shit. No, yeah, no, no, no because you're, you're, again, you're taking away from people's individuality. You're taking away from their uniqueness and, and from am, the, the, the sense yes. that they may not be. Good I mean, at I, I'm an exception. I can't cook for shit. <laughs> Apparently the French can cook really well. I'm not one of them. <laughs> and I actually blame my lived experience in South Africa because the food here is awful. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> We've got good food, man. I just man. came back from France. Really I just came back from Paris. No, okay, that's the You can't, you can't uh, compare. Well, yeah. So, for, for lived experience. That's nice for you. <laughs> exactly. And your lived experience. <laughs> 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 um, the 
this is my Beautiful. show. This is my show. I wanted a woman speaking on my show. All right, it's okay, a Wimson. Cool. Get it okay. right. Wimson. Here we here we go with okay more epistemic injustice. <laughs> the, the, the patriarchy is relevant in the studio. Right. Um, so so that experience has a point to it. Yes. But. On an individual basis, yes, you would argue, yeah. I would think. I think yeah, that's the argument. I, I, I would argue that. Um, and so, say for example, if someone you know is on goes traveling quite a bit again, they, they are you know not white but look kind of Arabish. In fact, I'm thinking of a very particular person, and he often talks about himself being misraced. Um, so people assume <laughs> him to be a, from a you know a particular race, which he isn't, and this leads to him being stopped and uh, searched uh, and you know interrogated on all his travels. And what? Well, I mean, he he is finds the whole situation rather odd. But I mean, the the point is that ultimately, like, if he were, for example, to lash out and you know, I don't know, hit some guard in the face. You know, he he wouldn't have the authority to do that on the basis of a skin color alone. It would be because he was badly treated or treated unfairly or whatnot on right. the you know on the basis of skin color. But it's mm. not on the skin color as such. It's yes. th- there's other stuff going on. If you because know I also I mean. want to ask one day, if we get like a black nationalist in here, which I do hope we will one day. So the experience. So if we understand the experience of mm. of of black people in general of unprocessed trauma from apartheid, which which I can sort of accept as an argument, mm, why is the lived experience of a white Afrikaner who is fearful mm. of the blacks mm. for being violent or whatever the case might be, why is that experience not given as much merit as another's experiment uh, experience? So as a as a farm as a farmer, right? So you yeah. were held up and tortured mm. by black individuals. Mm. Your lived experience is one of fear of black people, right? Yeah, except it, it, so why is that one given less charitable interpretation than a black a black person's experience? Possibly because of the context. Um, so you know, in apartheid, the general sort of situation was such that um, you know the black majority was oppressed mm. um yes. so so often you know i suppose it would be argued that potentially violence could be justified because of this white minority that was oppressing and brutalizing sort of the black majority even if it's not the case in this particular farmer's instance mm. right i i mean I, I might say that you probably would take the white farmer on on that view not not because mm. so he can have the view based on his lived experience mm. but you would challenge him on his view exactly. because his view is wrong because once again it doesn't um think about in people as individuals yes. equally you would take on the guy throwing stones at the great hall at Witz, mm. um because you know um all white people um are oppressing him or some some uh, such other thing that kind of thing that have been said in mm. in the in the discourse um you'd equally take him on for the exact same reasons because yeah, he's I mean, not I think, I think both positions That's are right. wrong yeah but in 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 the general discourse <laughs> one is given far more weight than another yeah so even the lived experience argument is mm. relative Yes. That's basically yeah. What I'm trying to say. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. The, well, the relativism is is a huge issue, isn't that? Yes. Sure. Isn't that one of the biggest problems with the application of a lot of these things? I think mm-hmm. I think people in general, uh, you, you know, we want a better society. We want people to treat each other better. Mm-hmm. I think where you know the patriarchy, for example, you know where there is, uh, I don't buy into rape culture, but where you have a campus where for example, things are happening that are, are not acceptable mm. uh, in terms of the treatment of women, uh, that is absolutely something that needs to be taken on, challenged, and, and, and dealt with. Mm. Um, but it's the, the sort of relativism that, 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 that crops up um, whereby 
it's it's we take things that aren't really what they're they're made out to be and we we then we then I don't know if I'm being clear. No. I have no idea what you say. Well, I, I mean, yeah, so, so when you say, you know, there, there are obviously problems, uh, and, and, and we need to, you know, recognize them and, and deal with them. But, and this is what I really like about Jonathan Haidt's work, is he looks at how people then want to deal with them, right? So, say for example, there was a problem, you know, violence against women and whatnot. A lot of the, measures that are put in place then center around the identity of the woman or whatnot instead of you know looking at the root causes of the of the violence and trying to um, sort those out we're looking at identities and what happens is uh, so I suppose he, t- he talks about these sort of um, identity enclaves that then develop where for example there's women's groups uh, and there's like microaggression training and that kind of thing and that that mm. sows so much disharmony actually and does exactly the opposite of what it claims to be doing yeah. Jonathan Hyde makes a point that the social sciences specifically who who um, fracture people into a woman's groups or a, mm. or a queer only group or whatever else group mm. that actually causes far more distress in the society yeah, yeah. than otherwise. Yeah. And I think it has, uh, you know, very um, sort of I think um, consequences that aren't considered. So, uh, you you might know that if you protect certain groups, people will break into those groups. You might know that that's going to be an outcome. But uh, men's rights activists, for example, that that uh, is a the response. Worst, the worst people on earth. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I don't know about the worst people on earth, okay. but feminists first. <laughs> Third way. Um, but but yeah, well, th- that's exactly the point. Is mm. is the the protection of th- sort of third wave feminist mm. ideals and principles mm. um, have created. Um, the complete opposite, mm. um, who are just as bad uh, in men's rights acti- right. activists. Well, even mm. now, it's social justice warriors and in the alternative right, as they call themselves. Yeah, right? the alt right. Like, yeah. Sort of like subversive white nationalists, Pepe the Frog characters. They're a bit odd, like in every single way. But in a. In it's a, really an ugly frog. Going, I mean, back, going back to liberalism, I mean, we would accept both these groups. And call them both idiots. <laughs> one would hope. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that it, those kind of group identities really do seem to sort of stand in the way of of a person discovering really who they are and, and the the kind of you know and being able to then to construct the kind of life that they, um, you know, that allows them to flourish fully as a, as a unique individual, the very you know unique path to follow in life. So, but you're assuming that that humanity has value of sorts. Um, I think that's the essence of liberalism, right? Humanity has value, individuals have value, yes, and must sort of leave them alone to try find their own type of value. Well, you sense. want to create the kind of conditions in which a valuable life can be led, because if you think about it, I mean, this is that's all we have in this world, right? We have this little life that is squished between birth and death, um, and you kind of want to make the best of it on this planet while you can. I mean, that's ultimately what I think we we want to do. Um, so, yeah, meaning of life, hmm, creating meaning in life, yes, yeah, I think that's quite an important thing to be after. Yeah. So then you would be an anarchist then. <laughs> oh, remind, here we go again. This, okay, at least I have Jonathan in my camp here. Yeah, <laughs> last time it was just uh, yeah. Last time I was like, it was just I because, was I was beaten. Yeah, because I, I, th- I think the state, the, the state is, is the greatest obstruction to human uh, evolution, so to speak. Um, it 
Are we ar- really going to have this conversation? Yeah, it's, an <laughs> it's an arbitrary notion of power that we we buy into, and then we've got different psychopaths telling us to vote for them. And uh, and yeah, have to do that. Are you the kind of libertarian that doesn't even believe that we need to have police and and rule well, he can't be a libertarian then. Of, well, you can, but it, it would just yeah, be sort no, of very no, limited. He's not even libertarian. Yeah. Let's yeah. go back to the ideas and, and sort of good ideas, bad ideas. Okay. You, you wrote a whole piece on ideas. Yeah. Um, tell us uh, a bit about that. Those of you who haven't read it, it is available on Politics Web. Um, but, but give us a bit of a summary. That's right. It's called Poisoning the Well. Uh, I wrote it one afternoon while I was procrastinating. <laughs> this was by far the most productive procrastination I've ever done. This is not usually the case. But I suppose I was triggered <laughs> <laughs> to write the piece because of a Facebook post. I can't even remember exactly what the Facebook post was about, but it had something to do with you know, um, the university situation in the country. And I was also triggered by a passage that I'd read by my external reader of, of my thesis proposal. Uh, yeah, and I, and I wrote this piece, I think, in response to sort of the, the decolonization rhetoric because I find it really strange or really unfortunate that ideas – seem to be tied to the people who are putting them forward or who have put them forward. So I I think it's very strange to try and evaluate an idea based on where the idea first originated or where it was first sort of documented. So I think the beautiful thing about ideas is their universal nature. And, you know, the only reason to get rid of ideas, I think, is when they're, when they're bad. And that's an objective sort of thing that you can assess. But it, you know, you wouldn't be fallaciously looking at the source of the idea in order to get rid of the idea, but rather the merits of the idea itself. So Newton came up with gravity. Gravity <laughs> is a objective fact uh, yeah. that we now know. And the mathematics behind that, uh, is pretty solid. Mm. Um, so just because it's Newton doesn't mean we throw the idea of gravity out the window or we there attack we the idea. Yeah, yeah but that, that's an easy example. What happens well, if, well, they gave it to me. What do you want me to do? That's a very I'm easy one. with what I'm given. So, yes, so. because there are so few people who articulate exactly what they think when they're talking, when they talk about the term okay, decolonization. But what about, okay, so what about if we had a proper Nazi mm-hmm. who had evidence to show that Jews are X or Y or whatever the case might be in a negative light. Hmm. Would that idea still be valid? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting one. I mean, I mean, that's, that's where you, these, your theories or your writings must be tested. Right? Yes. We can talk about Newton. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's so what science. you, so what you have to then do really is dissect, you know, exactly that claim uh, and, you know, just double check it for its veracity because certainly, you know, you can, you can sort of look to, to the source of an idea to maybe get a, get a sense of, the interests um, that that particular person mm. may have or the group may have, but still in evaluating the idea, you'll want to try and discard all of that because you just want to look at the merit of the idea. I'm trying to remember. I can't, I can't remember the guy's name, but there's a guy in the, in the US who mm. found some research. Someone did some research, but he's exactly his background is that he's a pretty racist kind of guy. Yeah. And they went and did some research, Isn't which Crick, the guy. No, no, it's not, no, it's not Crick. Um, that Crick whole thing was debatable, but, um, but there's a guy who went and basically tried to, he put together some data Mm. which showed black people to be inferior. Okay. And then he, he went and obviously ran with the data, Mm. um, you know, because now it supports his racist views. Mm. Um, and, and he runs with it. And I think that that's where the, the, you, you, I hear what you're saying, but Mm. you have to evaluate 
um, the idea um, in its in its sure. whole and, in itself, and, yeah. and and then it wouldn't even if you even if you could say that um, let's use your example mm. um, something bad about Jews mm. um, uh, even if you could say that uh, that wouldn't allow you to then go and sort of exterminate that group of people mm. no mm. but say a Nazi scientist mm. has like a perfect double blind experiment to show that mm. Jews are intellectually inferior mm. and all he wants to show is that he doesn't want like, to annihilate them. So I think when we're dealing with something like a Nazi or this this racist guy, you know, it would certainly tend to indicate that there is this interest in in pushing a particular narrative, which which would make you particularly cautious in in accepting, you know, whatever the double blind experiment. I mean, ultimately, what you do want to do is then put that uh, to one side. And I suppose you want to, to sort of examine every claim as rigorously as possible. But yeah, in, in these particular cases, it, it's... No, there's too much time. There's not enough time in the day. I'd rather just make a, a flippant conclusion <laughs> in my own mind before I actually see any evidence. It works very well for me, I must be honest. Oh, dear. Then you just pick up your your gun or whatever <laughs> traditional weapon you can find and, and just get to work. There we go. Indeed. That's how it works. That's how I it am works. getting I, out of the studio. I think, I think right though, now. though, you can believe whatever you want. Uh, you can have any ideas you want, good and bad, uh, proven and unproven. Mm-hmm. It's how you act, choose to act on those, those, those views and, and how they, uh, if you, if you're going to kind of interfere with other people. Yeah. So that's. Takes us back to John Stuart Mill and the harm principle. <laughs> All right, so, so let's talk about interfering with people. You wrote uh, something many years ago on on uh, BE and uh, how we can. You, you said we could do non-racial BE. Uh, non-racial affirmative action. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, the, the difference being, well, black economic empowerment implies that it's going to be racial. Because yeah. it's got the term black. The, the, proxy, okay, the, the right. proxy of the affirmative action is, is race. Is race. Yes. All right. Well, it was originally affirmative action, and then they needed to change the name. I, I don't know. Maybe. Well, it was maybe, always a racial. Maybe racial a to- Tokyo action. didn't like it, or Cyril didn't like the name, and it didn't look nice on the document they well, were signing. Cyril didn't like it. He certainly didn't let his feelings be known. <laughs> Quietest man in, in, in politics I've ever met, or, or haven't met. You would be too if you were earning billions <laughs> of, of deals. So, how do yeah. we do? How do we do? Non-racial um, affirmative, affirmative action. action. Well, in a nutshell, what you do is you look at a basket of socioeconomic indicators to point to disadvantage. Because the whole reason why you know this form of affirmative action exists is to try and sort of compensate for past injustice, which is absolutely necessary. And another couple, I suppose, of reasons for for affirmative action or is sort of the well, correction for current injustice and another reason that's cited for the existence of affirmative action is diversity. But yeah, basically you'd look at, at a, a basket of socioeconomic indicators. And the reason why this is better than looking at race is because firstly, you know, now if now we're in 2016, race isn't necessarily the best proxy for, for disadvantage. And if benefits are allocated on the basis of race, this means that, you know, very wealthy people who actually don't need a, a leg up, you know, are, are potentially getting a leg up when, when this is just not necessary for them. And these, these guys may also act as gatekeepers in the sense that um, their children who then also go on to, you know, fancy schools and end up at really fancy overseas universities and whatnot and come back also get this, this leg up, which they don't need. And generally the, the point is that often people who really would need it are being overlooked. 
And the problem is also, I think, in, in corporate culture, you know, you want someone who, at least this, this happens a lot, is this phenomenon of mirroring, basically where you you want to employ someone who sort of looks like you, speaks like you. So the kid who went to, you know, uh, St. John's with my kid, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll pick this kid, you know, because I know him and yeah, he comes over, you know, mm. you know, for dinner and whatever, twice a week. But the guy who's really worked super hard to to get the kind of, Good marks, perhaps not brilliant marks, but really good marks, especially given the fact that he had no, I don't know, extra tuition that, mm. you know, maybe the other kid did have. You know, he maybe doesn't speak like the Sir John's boys, but he certainly got the determination and the willpower and the um, ability to sort of stick it out. And and these are all like amazing qualities that you want in your employees. But all these things sort of get overlooked because sort of race is the, is the central criterion. Another big problem with having race as your as your proxy for disadvantages, you can't really tell, you know, when transformation has occurred. You can you right. can measure socioeconomic progress, but you can't. I mean, your skin color is your skin color, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that sort of leads me to another problem with it: is is that um, you are forever going to bear this overt, yeah, sign of you know disadvantage or whatnot, and. It actually un- often undermines the very people it sort of claims to be helping, because um, well, it's deeply, pat- it's deeply there's this, patronizing. Well, there's the stigma around the. Around, you may you may well be by far the best candidate for the, for the job, mm. but and, you you know there will always be this assumption that you yeah. got your job then, because then you of get the job rest. and yeah, the, the, even though you 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 perfectly are qualified for the job, in fact maybe overqualified for the job, the reason you got it is 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 nothing to do with your your merit. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I, I think we've spoken about the problem, the problem that that creates in, in, in not acknowledging people's merit. The other mm-hmm. issue, I mean, I was going to say, well, look, in South Africa, we know that, you know, the, the majority of people that are disadvantaged are black. So mm-hmm. you can use being black as a sort of marker. It's a very lazy marker. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but, it, but. I mean, over time, it probably becomes mm. a worse marker. Mm. Uh, you know, we know now from a previous show we've done, the black middle class is now larger than the white middle class, and mm. it's growing rapidly. Well, even the upper class. Mm. Sure. Um, it's growing rapidly. We also um, – I don't know if we've discussed it on air, but someone, Ramon and I have had a discussion with it said in 20 to 30 years' time, you know, the percentage of uh, population that the white people make up will probably be less than 1%. So at some point you kind of, uh, it, it becomes an irrelevant market because probably the majority of the country will be black. So then if mm-hmm. you're trying to benefit black people, you're trying mm-hmm. to benefit everyone really. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, which might be not be a bad idea from, from the government's perspective. But if you've got a sp- specific system aimed at benefiting certain people, mm-hmm. that's a pointless, uh, a pointless um, market to use. Yeah, exactly. I suppose another big issue, so say, for example, if you have, you know, in this country, you've got, imagine you've got quotas for public schooling or, you know, in municipalities and whatnot to deliver sort of basic services to the very poor, because the wealthier classes can afford to opt out of the data service provision and can afford private medical aid, private schooling, all that kind of thing. But if you have this quota system for the poorest of the poor, and these guys are the ones who are relying on sort of state services, and, you know, say, for example, you don't fill the positions because you just don't find the right, you know, the right people or whatnot, then you have, you know, you're entrenching disadvantage, whereas, in fact, your claim is to try and get rid of disadvantage, but in actual fact, you're entrenching it because you may not, for example, be appointing people. Uh, so you may just be keeping those spots vacant or you may be appointing people on the basis of, 
it's obviously quotas are a much sort of stronger race-based policy than, for example, sort of strong preference policies. And then you, yeah, you may just be depriving the very poor of the kind of education that they deserve. I mean, so you're actually entrenching disadvantage there. Sorry, I, I'm missing. Have we talked, spoke about the solution yet? Yeah, I was about, I was just about to get there. <laughs> okay, but, but please don't about... say get rid of the state. As, <laughs> as, 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 okay, we no, can no. say that that's the end. No, 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 no. Hold on. Thanks, Hitler. Please. We can say that that's the final solution. Jonathan, <laughs> Jonathan please, please. Now that's ad hominem. No, I'm, I'm asking <laughs> yeah. Cecilia's solution. Oh, no, I think we have already touched upon that, and that is really looking at a basket of socioeconomic indicators. So perhaps, you know, what your parents did, how much income your household uh, receives. Why don't you just do a simple means test? Well, that, that's basically it, right? I've never written this paper. But you may, yeah, you may also want to look at yeah the types of schools that you you know you've gone to and and yeah all that kind of thing. And you may want to also then look at merit as I already sort of touched on earlier in a different way. So say for example, you know you have a kid who gets a C in maths in a township school, uh, in spite of the fact that he has to walk, you know, 5Ks to, to and from school every every day and, you know, hasn't really got electricity but has to study it by candlelight, um, he gets a C, mm. uh, which is, an inc- you know, an incredible achievement compared to, say, for example, a kid who has extra maths three times a week. Uh, yeah, and all uh, the amenities. Exactly, and, mm. exactly. So you may want to sort of relook at how you understand merit because that's still that that's merit based um, because you're looking at merit in a, in a but in do a you think way. do you think we need a policy as such as affirmative action in the way in the guise that you say do you think we still need that in if we had a free market because there seems to be a, a bit of a irreconcilable difference here you're for free markets and liberalism. Affirmative action, or you just saying? I don't think it's irreconcilable. Our notion of affirmative action is wrong. If we had to have it, this is the way to have it. There is need for redress based on past wrongs. So you know, if people were wronged in the past, this should be some kind of compensatory action. And in fact, these past wrongs may carry quite far into the future. So. You know, what happened to your parents under apartheid may well affect you, you know, and, and where you are in well, life currently. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and what school you're attending and, and, you know, what kind of opportunities are available to you. And so ultimately, uh, as a liberal, I care about equality of opportunity. And I feel like that that's just not, you know, the case is uh, that there is. How do we, how do we get there? That. So how do we, how do we get there? Your opinion, I'm not asking for, you know, the, uh, all, the different policies, the NGO you work for and, and all that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, perhaps a, a non-racial sort of affirmative action or some sort of leg up for people that come from really difficult backgrounds so that mm-hmm. we sort of equal the playing fields for opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how else do we get there to, because we've, we've got the, we've got a situation currently where, um, so what you're doing is that sort of policy would be a middle, uh, somewhere in the middle of 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 life, uh, you know, we've was it France or or someone previously who who said, you know, trying to target people when they're forty years old mm. um, is pointless. Mm. Um, you, you, you know, if you if you want to target the problem, then target the problem at at the root. So, yeah. uh, for example, if you want to stop the kid from having to study under candlelight, give 
give him freaking electricity. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you, uh, if you want to uh, improve, make sure that he can get an A in maths mm-hmm. and be equal to the kid at the good school mm-hmm. and give him a better school. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. like, how do we, how do we get there? I mean, do we, mm-hmm. do you feel we're living in a liberal country? Um, do we really practice liberal values? Mm-hmm. Um, is liberalism the way to get to a truly liberal society? Um, so do we have to go another way first to get to being liberals, perhaps? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there are two massive problems standing in the way of people being able to live fulfilling lives. And I think one of them is the state of our basic education system. So, or, you know, of our primary and secondary education systems, you know, and then, and then obviously we've got problems in the tertiary education system as well. I think what really needs to happen is is a total reform of the schooling system. Franz Cronier from the Institute of Race Relations has this wonderful slide in, in the presentation that he sort of gives, uh, and I think you guys have uh, referenced it a couple of times on your on your podcast as well. We've where, never met him. <laughs> <laughs> where he basically, about. where he tracks, you know, a particular class from grade naught to grade twelve, yes. and then you know, right through um, yeah. right through to university. It is utterly depressing to see how many kids fall off, uh, you know, and, and just disappear out of the mm. schooling system. About 650,000 out of a million from grade one to matric, roughly. Are the Ex- figures. Uh, exactly. Those are the guys that don't make it to matric. Mm. And then obviously, you know, the ones who then get a matric, you know, some of them get a matric with a 30% pass in maths. I mean, a 30% pass in maths, you know, if, if it is your dream to become an engineer or whatnot, um, that is going to be a grueling thing to get through at university. If, if you've been, you know, well, impossible. Able- yeah. And, I got and- 51% <laughs> in maths in matric standard grade, but, no one needs to know. But so there's so there's that massive um, massive problem, and I mean youth unemployment is extremely high. If you look at the numbers, I think from but like the ages between fifteen and twenty four, you've got youth unemployment of over sixty percent, yep. which is just enormous. So uh, race relations actually recently released a report on on youth, um, and youth being the sort of powder keg, and it's it really is disastrous. And in addition to that, you know you've got an uh, an economy that it will requires very specific skills. So our economy is very, very much based on services. And, and this, interestingly enough, people don't really know. Do you guys, for example, know what the, the general makeup of our GDP is? Uh, in, uh, mining, uh, mining and, and uh, tourism. So mining, you say 25? Yeah. Uh, mi- nope. Mining? Uh, let's, let's guess. Let's guess. 12%. Yeah, I would, I would have gone around 10%. Mining. Uh, mining, yeah. No, it's less. It's around eight. The, the crazy thing is that, you know, people always assume that somehow there will be jobs and there'll be jobs in certain sectors and whatnot. And, it, and if you look at, sky, yeah, definitely. guess how much, um, sort of agriculture makes up of our GDP? 5%. Uh, Less than three. Yeah. Oh. I, I would have said higher, but, but, uh, but I know that we're, we're, we're importing, uh, we're importing food. So I suppose that. Just points to that. that Not problem. necessarily, because it may just be the case that it's just very efficient kind of food production kind yeah, of thing. I mean, we also do have a drought yeah, okay, at the moment, so there, yeah. there is that too. Um, okay, so, what, what do services make up? Seventy percent. Seventy percent. And and the biggest chunk out of the services God, sector, yeah, and the biggest chunk thereof is banking and finance and that kind of thing. With oh, really? yeah, over twenty percent. So, so, so we need highly skilled people and yet we have like a totally uneducated potential workforce. So you have these two, yeah, you know. No, no skilled workforce, yeah. Yeah, no skilled workforce, which is, which is a, which is a massive disaster. And you've got the economy growing at what, uh, I mean, the IMF's Zero. last four, forecast was, yeah, 0.1%. So things aren't looking so good. 
Well, that's what happens when you have estates. <laughs> um, okay, so so all right, so our GDP is completely incorrect. Can we, in your opinion, do we think we can redirect so that we can use the the sort of low skilled people, um, so we can at least try and uplift those people, give them jobs, um, get them getting an income? I mean, shouldn't we be putting money towards? I mean, mining. I think our time is done. Um, and certainly with unions and things, uh, the companies are, are now going towards, um, um, you know, uh, automation and they don't really want large workforces, but it would seem to me that it's not even intelligent, especially in a country that's about to arrest its finance minister to have, uh, all your eggs in the finance basket. Um, but, but, but is it the, don't we just have to fulfill basic needs of people first? Because that eliminates a whole lot of inequality, firstly, mm-hmm. uh, between, as we discussed, between the person who lives in the suburbs with electricity and running water versus mm. the person who doesn't with mm. no electricity and no mm. running water. And bad education, And in bad addition. education. Why don't mm. you just fulfill basic services as mm. expressed by the communism, no, constitution? Um, well, there you go. <laughs> what I mean, a Freudian slip the, there the, for you. <laughs> the equality is much better there already. And then people are able to, to build their lives, so to speak, because their basic services have been met. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one because, so the Institute of Race Relations points to, um, the ANC being incredibly successful in its, um, service delivery in actual fact. Uh, you know, the, the amount of sort of house, RDP houses built, uh, and the amount of sort of, uh, electricity's rolled, uh, exactly, exactly, all that kind of mm, stuff. They've done is, a good job. Yeah, they've done a really good job uh, in in terms of all of that. In actual fact, I mean, even though some of it may be crumbling now, and you know, here and there there will be outages. And, well, I mean, obviously we have ESCOM and all that all that um, sort of stuff to deal with too. But the problem is that there's still no way of sort of self-actualization because you hit a ceiling. So so those basic needs are fulfilled, right? But then where do you, where to from there? And so there's, there's certainly a need for the economy to grow, for there to be more jobs, for people to be able to climb up the ladder and be an economically mobile. There certainly is that need. Yeah, I mean, another aspect to this whole thing is that because of how, how stagnant our economy is at the moment, we're seeing so many violent sort of protests. And again, the Institute has pointed to like a almost perfect inverse correlation between a drop in household income and a spike in violent protests. This, this, this whole thing is, is not looking very pretty. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's why universities must fall in the end. They, 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 they're putting all these. No, I'm not trolling. Can, can I'm we not trolling? Can, no, listen, listen. We have, we have, okay, go it run is, with it. We have a service-based <laughs> economy where 50% of people are, are very badly skilled or low skilled. Mm. And people still think universities are answered to getting a job, but the jobs we actually need are manual labor jobs or well, something to that mm. effect or plumbing or technical work or agriculture or agriculture. It's not fucking learning how to. Uh, put numbers together in a spreadsheet. For no, what we do, we need exactly more of those guys because if, if the economy is services heavy, then we are looking for guys mm. who can fill those no, but, jobs. But, but, but why must it be services heavy? Well, if, it just is, it, unless you want to be a statist and, uh, and interfere. No, but it, no, but it <laughs> is correct now, it. but it, it's like that for a reason. And so it was it, the point it, I was getting to earlier, which was do we, do we feed the current system, mm. which is uh, okay, we're services based, we're mm. very financial sector based. Mm. Uh, so what we really need is actually we should scrap the humanities, which would be a wonderful idea at this point. Hey, they get such um, a bad rap. <laughs> they do, they do get a and bad rap. Because they came up with words unfairly. like decolonization. No, so, but those are the, the bad, the bad the, factors. We, we know. So we'll, it's fine. We will take 
um, ethics and we will take <laughs> philosophy and we will house them somewhere logical. Um, and, and then we essentially we can shut everything down except for the commerce and economic sector. No, but all you have to do is break, is break the monopoly yeah. on, on education to think that education is only available with a piece of paper from a university. And education is actually a variety of different things to different people mm. and open up the market to different sort of education. This is true. I mean, I think there, there is a need. Uh, I mean, certainly universities play a huge role, especially given the kind of economy that we have. But there, there is certainly a need for that kind of technical, um, you know, uh, very sort of specific training that, you know. Right. That more plumbers, you, yeah. more electricians, more farriers, mm. more mechanics. Why are all the mechanics working at the fucking BMW in Ravonia, for God's sake? Because no, it pays why, them to. Why can't there be one like on every street corner? Like like there's a spa on every street corner, but there's no mechanic. <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> well, you need the, as you know, you need the volumes to, for them mm. to be able to open their business. You need people to be using them. And we're only going to do that by growing the economy. Yeah. Um, and so that everyone has a car, basically. Mm. And everyone needs a mechanic on every street corner. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering how we, if, if we can, so partially what you're saying, if we can, mm. how we shift the economy there, how we get our economy away from being so centered. I mean, we must have been a mining economy at some point. Mm. Um, mm. Well, I think there's, I mean, a big, a big problem is also the policy uncertainty in certain areas. So I think in terms of uh, what happens in the mining policy space, is that there is enormous uncertainty and a really big sort of ministerial discretion. And that scares away uh, investment. You know, investment. Mm. Uh, and what we really need is investment-led growth uh, right. in various sectors. All right. Um, so then why are we supporting this bloody Praveen Gordon? He's so anti-investment and anti-savings and anti-growth. Because That's the remarkable. same reason people no. are supporting uh, Hillary. Uh, Hillary. Crooked um, Hillary. So, Crooked Hillary. so no, but, but it's the same reason, lesser of two evils. No, he's not the lesser of two evils. He is prime evil. <laughs> he's, he oh, is the way. reason, he's the reason we're going into junk status. Oh, no, word. the boss is the reason we're going into junk <laughs> no, status. No, he controlled the finances for the first time for Jay-Z, right? Yeah. All he did was increase uh, capital gains, increase transfer duty, increase estate duty, put sugar taxes. What the fuck has he done for growth and investment? In you think country? that was all his decision? You think he yes, wasn't trying to? Dirty commie he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to make sure that the guy at the top could continue to fund planes and houses and large uh, cavalcades of cars. And that's happening anyway with Praveen there. So come on, don't don't be this moralist. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of Praveen. I've no, always said it. I think, I think everyone needs. He's to a shocking get minister. Over of finance. Uh, um, a finance minister, but um, I think the guy at the top is a bigger problem. No, listen, yeah, and I, th we, I think there's also something to be said around the protection of his office. So it's a problem when, for example, you know these charges are levied against him and and they're baseless. Um, so regardless of what you think about Pravin Gordon, uh, you know it, it's a problem. But that's the ANC crumbling. I'm happy with that. Uh, the difference. Is, what about what about? Uh, Ramon's happy to see it all burn. No, but what about what about using SARS as a as a prosecutory authority against Julius Malem and all that? Yeah, it's not our friend, but to for tax purposes, you want to send someone to jail. And, and he's the one who did it, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Provin's bad as a bad minister. So we need uh, more growth and investment. Sorry, I had yeah, my rant. Last yeah. week was Lead SA, today is Provin. Uh, so need more growth and investment. Yes. So I eat fire Provin. I get someone who's a bit more <laughs> less get communist. A liberal concept. Okay, that is a liberal concept to have a less communist. A less uh, communist finance um, minister. That'd but, be great. But can we, can we get on? <laughs> that goes to liberalism. <laughs> 
All right. So where, where else, uh, where else can we uh, look to improve sort of liberal values in society? Right. Well, something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about, I suppose, is the teaching of logic and, and philosophy, mm. because I think this is just missing. And it's really weird because, I mean, in our daily lives, we are constantly being confronted um, with arguments. And I think a lot of the time people are, you know, weary of some arguments and, and, and they know there's something dodgy going on, but they can't quite put their finger on it. We need to sort of be more critical and, and be able to voice our, criti- well, our criticism um, and be able to articulate what it is that we find dodgy. And I think that, that for example, the, the teaching of logic, uh, certainly more widely than in, in, in small um, philosophy seminars at university, would go down really well. Was this a colonized or the decolonized university? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm just joining now. Um, but it, yeah, but, now you're totally joining. Only now. Only now, yeah. He has been trolling like, no, no, the, whole, the whole time at all. must go. No, I'm really serious about that. <laughs> but, I mean, but Jonathan Haidt tells us, right? I mean, people are not swayed by logic. If they were, we wouldn't have any dumb Humans people. aren't rational beings. Yeah. Humans aren't rationalists by any means. Yeah, except, uh, I mean, the, pro- the problem is we are dealing constantly with seemingly, you know, rational discourse. <laughs> um, and so if, 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 you know, people are using arguments, which, which a lot of people are, even if they aren't, you know, particularly sound rationally, you know, you ought to be able to call, call out the, the fallacies that are going on and whatnot. That's why you must be on Twitter, like us. That's <laughs> you on Twitter. <laughs> call out fallacies. Uh, yeah. That's what you guys it's, do. It's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place to, to, yeah, to, no, to do that I work. avoid Twitter. Right, so so logic. So how do, how do you teach it? You you say at universe, excuse me, university, but not at school. Well, no, no, that's what that's what I'm saying. I I, I think it's a bit sad that it's uh, constrained to you know um, to universities. I think I think it could be taught at schools, and I think in fact there are quite a lot of studies to show that kids who've been exposed to logic or some basic philosophy um, are able to they perform better in 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 various subjects. So it, it's sort of you know you're you're gaining um, a life skill because it's yeah I mean philosophy I suppose is, it means you know the love of wisdom which is, is something very different to the love of knowledge because I think right. wisdom is entails how you look at knowledge and how you evaluate knowledge and how you instrumentalize knowledge. Yeah, so uh, basically, no, I do think it's called child abuse these days. If you question <laughs> a child, if you question, and the child. reason why I'm saying that is because you know <laughs> there's a no oh, no no, but it's true. Okay. So there's a guy, a philosopher friend of mine, who, who his friend, who I met once, uh, he's at UJ. Mm-hmm. And since his daughter was able to talk, he questioned her on everything. Amazing. From what she ate for breakfast to what she learned at school to, are you sure this is actually your house? Like, how do you know it's actually your house? No, because I come here every day. Okay, but you know you could be wrong. Mm. No, I could be wrong. Okay. So, I mean, so he questions her every day, not in, not to demean her, but to mm. build up. So mm. that's, ch- that's not child abuse. Mm. No. Oh, how do you know this is your house, Jane? <laughs> I mean, seriously. No, but, no, that's not your, that's that's not your therapy, oatmeal. Oh my gosh, my father used to question me about whether I actually lived in my own but house. But I think that's a good way to build up <laughs> yes, logical yeah. premises, even mm. for like a four or five year old. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I mean, there are certainly methodologies and techniques of teaching. You see, I'm uh, not trolling. <laughs> no, no that, that was fair. That was. Uh, I think that's reasonable. No, I that mean, is that is totally reasonable. I just think um, is people are, people are either too scared or too or not curious at all. Is, is, is that the start of 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 logic? Really, is really questioning 
saying why about things. Just, yes, just in general. Why. I mean, kids do this. All the five-year-olds yes. are great at this. Five-year-olds also why for everything. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, it just, um, you know, having a conversation with someone the other day and, and they mm. uh, were around the university stuff that's going on and they said, um, no, no, you know, the, the, the government must fund mm. free education. And I said, why? Mm. And <laughs> that's all I said. I didn't yeah. argue. I just and then said, you perpetrated white violence. I just said, why? Why? Asking why? And, 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 and she couldn't answer the question. Mm. Uh, you're assuming the person wasn't a white girl. Um, sorry, a woman. Uh, <laughs> so, um, they haven't messed up the girl? word, the word girl actually and boy. Um, we can use those. Um, no, but I think it's very important to question people all the time. Yes. And it drives people absolutely crazy. Totally. But I mean, that's the Socratic method, right? Is just to indeed. ask questions and keep pushing and ask I mean, I think Socrates famously said, I can't teach people anything. I can only teach them how to think. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and, and that's what philosophy can do. And th- yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful sort of example that you give of these, you know, of kids who just, they, you know, they always ask why. And I, I feel like we, we as adults, you know, could learn a lot actually from, from kids. Absolutely. We take um, things for granted. We t- yeah. And I think w- what we often just don't do is, is question sort of these fundamental assumptions that are flying mm. around. Um, and, and that's dangerous. So I think that's, yeah, that, that, that's when things become dangerous. Yeah. Um, so don't question me when I say Praveen must go. <laughs> you two so just in my face. So, so, no, we just laughed. Um, so uh, that is the message for the Renegade Report this week. Uh, be more like a five-year-old. <laughs> In, brilliant! <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Uh, yeah, argue that, that sums it up. <laughs> that, that sums it up. We unfortunately are out of time. Cecilia, um, you're not on Twitter. No, um, she doesn't want to be found. She doesn't want to be found. You will find yeah. her columns occasionally on Politics Web, right? Yeah, when I decide to procrastinate. When you procrastinate, <laughs> you every columns. now and again, um, you can. Can people find stuff on your NGO's website? Some um, useful stuff there. Sort of static, so not not not, not really, not really. <laughs> All right, well, um, go. What about your favourite author? You can plug him a bit. Your uh, favourite philosophers and authors and all that. Well, John go, Tudor. Go, exactly. There you go. So go, go read. John Rawls. <laughs> go do some reading. Uh, that's your homework. Um, I know you're only five, but uh, that's your homework. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As always, um, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not even going to tell you the links anymore. Um, I'm sure you know them. Please rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Make sure people are listening to the show so they can expand their worldview a little bit. And we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Central.com